Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. I believe that knowledge is power, especially when it comes to our own health. One of the most powerful ways we can get to know our body's unique rhythms is by tracking our menstrual cycles and our symptoms. While basal body temperature tracking is one of the most accurate ways to do this, it can be labor intensive to say the least. Fortunately, there are devices available to make it easier for us. This week, I'm speaking with Melanie Angus, a certified fertility awareness educator and TempDrop team member. Discovering fertility awareness and cycle tracking changed her life, and she is passionate about helping other women find this knowledge. Mel is especially focused on the link of hormone health to overall wellness and how cycle tracking can be a door to understanding your overall well-being. I want to thank TempDrop for sponsoring this episode and this fantastic conversation on how to get started tracking your cycles. You can get 15% off a TempDrop kit using the code Hormone Dietitian Podcast at the link in the show notes. Let's get started. Welcome, Melanie. I am so glad you're here to talk with me today. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? So, yeah, my name is Mel Angus. I'm a certified fertility awareness educator and a team member over at TempDrop. Um, so, within TempDrop, my main role is user experience, customer experience, and education. Thank you. I want to start a little bit with some of the, the basics of cycle tracking. What are some of the signs or symptoms that you're starting to enter into your fertile window? So to identify when we're entering the fertile window, the number one symptom that we can track is cervical mucus. Um, cervical mucus is the symptom that changes first under the influence of estrogen as we sort of enter enter that that time where we're leading up to ovulation so if we can possibly track cervical mucus that's the the one symptom that's going to give you a real heads up that things are changing and that you're progressing towards ovulation um, as you get further into the fertile window closer to ovulation um, some people also use lh test strips or ovulation predictor kit tests 
And that can can notify you or let you know when your LH or luteinizing hormones level get to a point where ovulation may happen. So first and foremost, cervical mucus, and then you can add ovulation strips um, if you wish as you get closer to ovulation. Yes, and I work primarily with people who have PCOS. Mm. Um, So oftentimes LH is high. Uh, because yeah. the brain is trying really hard to get them to ovulate. Um, and so for that reason, sometimes those ovulation test strips can look positive and it can look like they're going to ovulate, but that's not a guarantee that you're going to ovulate if you get a positive test. And same thing with the mucus. I've seen that happen as well, where you know they it kind of looks like they're gearing up to ovulate, but they never quite cross that hump, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's why, you know, learning our bodies better as individuals, but combining multiple symptoms is so helpful. Yeah. So, you know, there, there really is kind of one big thing, you know, I mean, besides testing progesterone in a lab, which isn't always accessible and certainly isn't accessible month after month, but there's one big sign that someone actually has ovulated. What, what is that sign? Yeah, that's the one we love the most, our basal body temperature or a nightly sleeping temperature. So that's where this comes into play with temperatures is once we do successfully ovulate, our temperature will rise. Our body temperature is influenced by progesterone after we ovulate. And so when we're tracking our nightly sleeping temperature each and every day, we will be able to see that distinct rise in temperature and then it remains elevated after ovulation for the rest of the cycle. So once we detect the change from a lower temperature range to a higher one and then it stays high, it helps give us the confidence or it's an extra sign that ovulation's been successful. Are there other signs and symptoms that that people can track or people should be tracking? Yeah, so cervical mucus and basal body temperature are the two primary ones we always encourage people to track if possible. Um, But then we can add things like um, cervical position is another one that some people might choose to learn to track. Um, because our, our cervix not only changes in the way it feels across the cycle, but also in its height, whether it's lower or higher. And this is something that women can become quite adept at, at using as an extra symptom. And then, you know, there's there's things like um, maybe the way we feel can change around ovulation. So, so by putting those kind of symptoms on a chart, whether it be cramping or Um, might be acne, might be the negative symptoms, putting them all together on the chart can just add to, even though they're not primary symptoms, they add to that fuller picture and help us to get to know our bodies better as individuals. Yeah, I've I've played around with a lot of the apps and I, I find it fascinating that there are so many symptoms that, you know, there are places to track and things that you know, things like, like ferning, saliva Mm. ferning, is that something anyone actually uses? That's actually a very good one. Probably not one that people tap into enough. Maybe I know that I personally, when I was learning fertility awareness tracking, I tracked everything I could 
to help Mm -hmm. give me confidence about what I was seeing. And ferning was something I tried. It was really interesting watching um, the change in our saliva over the course of our cycle as estrogen rises. Again, it actually has an effect on our saliva. So, again, it's not a primary sign in that you can't use it alone because it's not as reliable as cervical mucus and temperatures combined, but it's another it's something else that you could add to your repertoire just to give you confidence about what you're seeing because when all those symptoms kind of align together, then it just gives you that bigger picture and you go, oh, yeah, it gives you confidence that what you're, you're doing and what you're tracking and what you're seeing are all symptoms of ovulation. Yes, I like to track everything and I encourage my clients to track everything, you know, if they're having any sort of symptom that they suspect might be cyclical because it could actually be a sign of a hormone imbalance or, you know, hormones driving these other symptoms, things like, you know, changes in digestion. Are they more constipated? Are they having loose stools on certain days of the month? What days of the month are they breaking out? Whether they might have that middle schmerz uh, ovulation pain or not, some some people have it, some people don't. Um, I personally tried to track my allergy symptoms one time to see, you know, were my allergies worse on the days that my estrogen was highest? Because, you know, there's a big connection between estrogen and histamine. I did not detect a correlation between <laughs> my allergies and my estrogen levels, but you know, and there are other signs too. A lot of women talk about that increased sex drive before ovulation. Um, and a cool one that I've noticed just because I wear a Fitbit um, and it, it tracks heart rate is that the heart rate, uh, resting heart rate actually does correspond to the rise in temperature. Yeah. When my temperature goes up, my heart rate also goes up. And I I tried to do some digging into the literature around that. And there's not not a lot yet on on heart rate. Um, There is some during pregnancy on if heart rate is not high enough. um, It's a sign that, you know, the pregnancy may not be a sustainable one. But I think that ultimately goes back to how robust the ovulation was and how you know, much progesterone is being produced, but it's all, mm-hmm. it's all connected. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I never expected to see that heart rate, uh, rise and drop every month, but it's, it's cool to see that. And I know it's not exactly as correlated as temperature is, but interesting. Nonetheless, I kind of dork it's out on all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah, that's right. And it all just helps give you that confidence about your own body. I mean, another thing that I noticed personally is around ovulation, I actually get more energy and can't sleep. Like my Mm. sleep, it's not that I'm, it's not in a bad way. I actually am so wired almost at night Mm. that I can work, I can function. My my brain function is very good um, on less sleep. And that just happens for that one to two days very often when I'm ovulating. So again, it's just like you lay there in bed and go, Ah, I know why I feel like this because I'm ovulating or trying to ovulate. Exactly. That's part of why I encourage my clients to track for that, that reassurance, you know, just 
having Mm. gone through it myself, it's like, why am I breaking out on this day? Oh, wait, you always get a pimple on this day of your cycle, or um, you always have a headache the day before your period starts, or your, you know, the chocolate cravings that kick in right before the period starts. What are, what are some of the methods that can be used for cycle tracking? Yeah, so we at TempDrop always encourage symptothermal method, um, mm-hmm. a double check method, meaning that you at a minimum track basal body temperature and cervical mucus, um, just because those two together will just give you that bigger picture. I mean, there are things that can influence temperature outside of ovulation. Maybe our body's working harder for our liver function, for instance, and that could raise our body temperature for a couple of days, or it might be something else that's influenced it. So by having the two as a cross-check, it just is going to be more accurate and give you a better picture. So we encourage symptothermal method with tracking those two at a minimum. But there are other methods as well. Symptohormonal is another option where people combine temperatures with LH strips. Um, hmm. specifically. That's that's another way of doing it. Or you could add another device such as a hormone monitor, which are a little bit more precise than just LH strips. Hmm. So that that's another option. So there are a lot of methods out there, but personally at TempDrop, we always encourage symptothermal whenever possible. Yeah, I totally agree. You, you need more than one. You need something to predict when ovulation's going to happen. Um, and then you need something to confirm that ovulation did happen. And the reason for that is, you know, if you're if you're trying to get pregnant, then you want to be able to identify that fertile window proactively so that sperm is waiting for the egg when it's released. If you're trying not to get pregnant and you're waiting to see that temperature rise, well, then it's too late. (laughs) You know, it's already happened and it's too late. We have talked about it on this podcast before, but can you Give a little more detail about what you're looking for um, in terms of the cervical mucus changes. Mm. So at the beginning of the cycle, just after our period, you know, estrogen is low and it's estrogen that has the effect on the cervix to produce cervical mucus. So you're kind of looking for initially, hopefully a couple of dry days where there's no visible cervical mucus But what you're watching for is the change. You're watching for a change over the course of the days from either no cervical mucus or a very low quality cervical mucus like sticky or tacky, a change to more moisture content. So once you detect that change where there's more moisture or the cervical mucus itself is more visible, that's the signal to let you know that something's changing, estrogen is rising, and your body is now preparing for ovulation. So you keep doing that and hopefully in a textbook cycle, (laughs) hopefully you will start to see more cervical mucus and see the quality change to a more fertile type. And the best type of cervical mucus that we can see is the consistency of raw egg whites where it's very slippery, it's clear, it's stretchy, um, it has a heavy water content. So 
that's what we're watching for. We're watching for the, the transition over days. So you're not just observing once a day and go, oh, that's it, I don't have it or I do have it. You want to be observing your cervical mucus as multiple times a day because it can change from hour to hour, really. Um, so by checking multiple times a day and then you're looking for the most fertile type of that day and then just keep watching day after day, watch the change. And then as we lead up to ovulation and around ovulation, hopefully we have this good fertile type quality of cervical mucus. We should feel um, at least when you wipe some slipperiness. And then you're watching for an abrupt change back again. So, you know, you've built up, you've built up, you've got some good quality cervical mucus. And then you notice it either dries up completely or becomes lesser in the type, like lesser fertility type, back down to maybe that sticky kind of consistency. Whatever's, you know, you'll get to know your own patterns, but you're looking for an abrupt change from the highest top fertility type back to a lower type, and then it's staying there or drying up. So that's known as peak day when we have the last day of the most fertile type for you, followed by an abrupt change either back to a lesser type or no cervical mucus. So that's what you're watching for, a transition in and out of moisture-laden cervical mucus. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm. Um, I do want to talk about basal body temperature tracking. Um, mm. You know, I want to start with talking about kind of the old-fashioned method mm. of, of BBT <laughs> tracking. Um, you know, can you explain a little bit about in the days before temp drop existed, what women would have to do to track their body temperature accurately? Yeah, so you would need to acquire a basal body temperature thermometer, which is different than a fever thermometer. Um, it's mm -hmm. more precise. It reads to two decimal places. And then try to capture, obviously you're trying to capture a base body temperature or a resting body temperature. So you can't do that during your sleep, obviously. We're not, we're not sleepwalkers. So traditionally, a woman would need to try and capture her temperature as soon as she started to wake. So not after she'd already fully woken up, but hopefully before she had fully woken up. So for many women, that meant setting an alarm, setting an early alarm um, to try and capture that temperature before you start to really wake up properly. And the alarm would go off, you reach over, you grab your thermometer, put it in your mouth, try to read um, for a couple of minutes because you want the thermometer first to warm up and then give it time to get a nice accurate reading, whether that be or orally or vaginally, you choose which one you're going to do. And that's the routine every single day. You wake up by an alarm or wake up early in the morning, don't move, don't get up and take your reading. It's also um, important to note that when traditionally doing it this way, it's best to get three hours of good sleep before you take your reading because you want your body to be in a resting state. So if you have very disturbed sleep, perhaps especially for those mums who would know yeah. about, all, about this when they've got to get up a lot during the night, it would be extremely difficult to get an accurate reading um, for that reason. And the other thing that can influence um, when you're manually taking a, a temperature this way 
are things like alcohol, for instance, because that does warm the body. Mm-hmm. Alcohol does warm the body. So if you drank alcohol the night before, your reading in the morning could be skewed or could be artificially high or not artificially high, but high not associated with ovulation because of the alcohol, for example. So there's quite a few variables involved in what can affect that temperature. Um, Disturb sleep before you take the reading, taking the temperature at the wrong time, like if you miss your alarm, forget to put it on um, and take it an hour later, that could skew the reading. If you're a mouth breather and you have your mouth open and your mouth you know, environment is quite cool, that could skew the reading. So there's quite a few things that while, you know, it is effective and it can be done, there's a number of things that can influence taking your your temperature that way and trying to get an accurate reading day after day consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Is it true it should be around the same time every day that you do it too? Yeah, exactly. So you should should try to, yeah, get it within, you know, half an hour or so of the same time every day. And that can be difficult if you're a shift worker. That can be very hard um, to get accurate readings in those circumstances. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I I have seasonal allergies. So I definitely saw that happen where I would, you know, roll over and take my temperature and it was, you know, 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, you know, four degrees lower than normal. And uh, that that was not helpful when trying to look for patterns or consistency. Um, I also find, you know, definitely for for new moms uh, who yeah. have little ones who are waking them up throughout the night or they're breastfeeding shift workers. If you have any sort of irregular sleep or wake time or are forgetful, you know, if you if you forget mm. to do it and suddenly it's it's 10 a.m. Well, you lost a day of tracking because it's useless once you've been up and walking around. Um, but I have found, you know, for a lot of women who are trying to conceive, they will start with sort of the traditional basal body temperature, but kind of the longer you're trying to conceive, that gets really old, really fast. <laughs> really fast, yes. Um, so let's talk about how TempDrop solves that problem. <laughs> yeah. So TempDrop just eliminates all those issues, almost every one of them, in the sense that if this is a wearable sensor that you wear overnight and it takes thousands of readings all night long And then beyond that, the algorithm for the temp drop sensor is designed to learn your personal patterns. So it's designed to learn your sleeping environment, um, your sleeping habits, um, you know, the things like when you put blankets on and off, when you do have disturbed sleep, and it can filter all that out. It can filter away and find you a reading from a time of the night when you are actually asleep. And then, yeah, the algorithm can go beyond that in, the, in terms of it learns your personal body temperatures patterns as well. So if it is artificially high because of, say, drinking alcohol, the algorithm can actually learn that and filter that out and give you, it doesn't just make up a reading, it'll find another reading from the same night 
that's more in line with your personal patterns. So it's pretty amazing. So it doesn't matter if you have the disturbed sleep. You don't have to worry about tracking or taking a temperature at a certain time because that's doing the work for you. And yeah, it can it can filter out all those environmental issues as well, the outside influences, which helps just with accuracy and stress-free. Like you just pop it on your arm for the night. If you're up and down, leave it on. And then the next day you remove it and then sync it whenever you're ready, whether that be straight away or put it aside on your bedside table and worry about it later. Yes, as someone who who is very forgetful in the morning, (laughs) um, I will attest that I often uh, forget to enter it into the app until uh, I take my bra off because my my arm strap broke. I've had my temp drop for years and years, so the arm strap is long gone. But you know, per the instructions, I just take the little teardrop and I tuck it into a a soft sleep bra under my yep. clothing and um, it tracks just fine in there. But yeah, I, I often will forget until I'm going to get in the shower or something and it'll go flying across <laughs> the bathroom. And yeah, that little, mm. that little thing can take a beating though. Um, I think I'm on, oh I've probably, probably put about four or five batteries in it. I've had it so long. I mean, the batteries last a really long time too, yes. but super easy to, it's really almost indestructible. So I appreciate that, but not best use to drop it. Try not to, if you possibly can, <laughs> but, um, but it, it is a, it is pretty amazing what it can, what it can go through. <laughs> yeah. I also, I really love the device for, um, the clients that I'm working with who are trying to conceive, who do have PCOS, mm. um, some of the other tracking devices that are on the market really do go so far as to say this is not accurate for PCOS or this is not, you know, um, will not work if you have yeah. PCOS. Um, some of the ones that track, you know, the internal ones that you wear that track mucus and some of the other arm wristband ones are not for PCOS. But since Temtrap just tracks temperature, it works just fine for people with PCOS who are looking for that temperature spike. You know, if they're not seeing Mm. the temperature spike, then they haven't ovulated yet. But, you know, especially when you're having cycles that are 60, 90 days plus, you know, that taking your temperature every day um, is a lot of, a lot of work. A lot Um, of work. Yeah. 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 So it it really just makes it it different and easier for people without PCO with PCOS. PCOS. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have that in mind too. Um, so for those who may not be familiar with TempDrop, um, TempDrop really is made up of two different components. So we've got the TempDrop sensor, which takes your temperature. Um, and there's a lot goes on behind the scenes there with the algorithm, that kind of thing. And then we've got the charting app, the charting app within the syncing app. So you need the temp drop app to sync or to retrieve the temperature from your device. And if that's all you want to use it for, that's fine. You can, you can do that and you'll get your list of temperatures and you can do with them what you wish. But there's also an inbuilt charting feature which is built in within the app. And for users who wish to use that charting feature, there's an option to tick that you have irregular cycles and it takes away the predictive elements. So we don't try to estimate when ovulation might occur for those with irregular cycles, 
because no one can predict that. And there's nothing more frustrating than an app telling you you should be ovulating when you're not because you've got irregular cycles. So, you know, we're building TempDrop with all the different users in mind, but it still does have the option to interpret your data, even if you've got irregular cycles, if you want to, you want to use the premium features that interpret the data, interpret the temperature values and your cervical mucus, it will still do that. So once you do actually have a a valid temperature shift, it will detect that and let you know about it if that's a feature you want to use. So so yeah, we, we really do keep the array of users in mind and try to make TempDrop usable for everybody. The charting app, is that a relatively recent build out that was kind of in addition to the, the app that already synced with the device? That's um, correct. Yes. yes. So the now- temp, TempDrop app originally was just for syncing, for just retrieving your temperature from the device. But, but over time, you know, with user feedback, again, it became obvious that we needed to provide a charting feature, um, which we have now done. It's been a little over a year, and that charting feature is still under development. So we're, we are still adding new features to it. We're still changing it. It's very basic at the moment, but it's quite functional, and it will get better with time. Yeah, it's it's nice to have everything all in one place and not have to find another app. And I think some of the other apps that are are popular are very old fashioned looking. You know, they're very uh, they almost look like eighties computer apps. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like they function, but they're you know it's it's not the most intuitive to use those sort of things. So it, it's nice to have it all in one place. Who might TempDrop be right for? What type of person would want to use the device? Well, it's our hope that everybody I know, <laughs> right? grab a TempDrop, of course. Um, so, you know, we have the different, different dynamics uh, among fertility awareness charters or ovulation trackers, people that want to track their ovulation, whether it be long-term um, some women will use it for avoiding pregnancy, you know, use fertility tracking for avoiding pregnancy, and then they might plan and do their flat family planning in that, okay, I want a baby next year, and they they switch to, to, to trying to conceive and they switch out again later. So there's there's those that chart for life, and we hope that all women could learn to chart for life because there's so many other aspects to ovulation tracking beyond just fertility. Um, as you would well know, and um, many others have come to learn, that ovulation is a sign of health. So by tracking your menstrual cycles, you can tap into your overall wellness. So it's our you know, greatest goal that more women can learn that and keep tracking. But if not, if you just want to use it for a short time for trying to conceive, that's fine too. It also has quite a good lifespan. So if if you successfully get pregnant, you might want to hold on to it and put it aside for another year or so and then come back to tracking once you're postpartum, for example. So, yeah, we have lots of different users, um, those that are long-term, short-term. Some come, you know, track for a while, stop, track for a while, stop, depending on what their circumstances are. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been using mine for years. I think it's it's really interesting. I don't know what the culture is like 
where you are, but in the U.S., there's such a, a stigma around temperature tracking that it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a stigma, but it's a a hundred percent is used for fertility tracking or mm. while trying to conceive. And I know it's not like that in other cultures. I know in other cultures, it's more the, the sign of health where, you know, young, young women are taught to track their cycles from the beginning of their menses and just get to know their bodies um, in that way. So, you know, it really is about that awareness and empowerment and, being aware of what's normal for you, you know, Mm. what your personal patterns are. Um, so I do, I wish, I wish more people would track for, (laughs) you know, I'm an, I don't know. I'm a data person though. I like the more data I have the better. Um, Mm. but I've definitely worked with women who feel a little bit triggered by temperature tracking where, you know, they, they associate it with trying to conceive and with pressure. And, you know, especially yes. if they're not ovulating regularly, they just, you know, it adds to their stress, but I, I do feel like temp drop really helps take some of that pressure off because at least yeah. they don't have to do the, the difficult part of I tracking do. their temperature every morning. I always say temp drop is uh temperature tracking for busy women. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a great way to put it. And I agree the culture can be difficult. But you know, we we're, we're seeing I don't know, I feel like we're starting to see a change because more and more women are starting to recognize they want to live healthier lifestyles and they're starting to recognize that synthetic um, hormones from hormonal birth control can disrupt that. And they're looking for other ways. They're looking for other ways. It's kind of like a changing, you know, dynamic where more and more women are steadily and with, you know, with the help of technology and with the help of Facebook groups and those kind of things, they're starting to learn, hey, I can actually do something that's more natural. I can get in, in sync or get in touch with my natural cycles and then come to realize that it affects a whole lot more than just their fertility. But it's a slow change. So, you know, we hope that we can, by providing a device that makes that whole process easier, we can lead the way to to this change and help more women to understand the power of their menstrual cycles and just the information it can give them about their overall wellness. Yeah, I've definitely experienced it firsthand where people don't understand why I track my temperature or they, they jump to the conclusion that I'm, I'm trying to get pregnant and it's like, well, that ship has sailed, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, tracking for, for my own information, because it's just, it is helpful to know where I am in my cycle and what kinds of things I can expect to be happening or, you know, in the wonderful perimenopause years too, mm-hmm. it's like what what new symptoms are happening on what days of the cycle? Yes. Um, so yeah. can time drop be used if you're trying not to conceive? Is it it's not it's not an FDA approved contraception like some of I think there is an app that has that, but yes. it could help you identify your fertile window okay. and avoid yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so temp drop is not approved um, formally as a contraceptive method in itself, 
But, you know, as you've experienced and many of us have experienced, um, we know that studies have shown that using a symptothermal method, tracking your temperatures, tracking your cervical mucus is an effective and a f- accurate way to identify your fertile window each and every cycle. And, of course, then you can make the decision whether you're going to avoid that fertile window or use a barrier method through the fertile window if you are somebody that is trying to avoid pregnancy at this time. So TempDrop is a tool that can certainly help any woman woman to practice a symptothermal method, even though it in itself is not a contraceptive device. As a dietitian working exclusively in women's health, I encourage all of my clients to track their cycles and their symptoms, whether they're trying to conceive or not, because knowledge is power. And I not only recommend TempDrop, but I also use it myself. TempDrop gives you everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility. Wear the TempDrop sensor while you sleep for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups or having to remember to track at the same time every day. TempDrop's charting app also allows you to chart signs and symptoms in addition to your BBT, including cervical mucus and ovulation tests. Combine these fertility signs all in one place to identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period, or identify pregnancy. Whether you are trying to conceive, are avoiding pregnancy, or want to chart for health reasons, TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. Identify your fertile window in real time with TempDrop. With TempDrop, know your cycle, understand your body. TempDrop has generously offered my listeners 15% off of the TempDrop kit with the code Hormone Dietitian Podcast. Visit tempdrop.com or use the link in the show notes to access the discount. Back to the episode. So, you know, as a as a TempDrop user myself, I think something I had to really dig into and read, you know, the background on that I think could be potentially confusing uh, to new users is the algorithm because mm. what happens is it it syncs your temperature and it gives you that number, but then that number could change based on the algorithm. You kind of alluded to it before, some of yep. the things that can affect the algorithm. Is it really if it's way outside of the norm for <laughs> you? Is that how it it knows this wasn't an accurate reading? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, the algorithm never stops gathering data about you and it learns your personal patterns, your body temperature patterns, your environmental patterns, your sleep patterns, all of those things. It's it's always learning. It's gathering data on. Um, so the day that you sync, so you wake up in the morning and you sync your temperature or retrieve your temperature from the device, it gives you the best reading possible based on the information it already has gathered from the past. Now, the next day when you get your new reading, it now takes that new reading into consideration as well. And what it might do is it might adjust yesterday's and possibly the day before's. Only the last two days can be affected by the algorithm 
we call it the retroactive updates or retroactive adjustments. So it takes into account the new reading, um, the new data, as well as your old gathered data, and then it might figure out that, oh, wait a minute, that one from yesterday wasn't actually in your normal patterns, considering today's as well, and we'll choose another one from that, you know, the previous night's readings so that it's more aligned with your normal patterns. So going back, for example, alcohol is a good example. Okay, yes, your body was warmer during the night due to drinking alcohol for, for a portion of the night during sleep. And so the algorithm has chosen a temperature from a portion of the night. It's a bit higher. Okay, now it's going to try and figure out, was this ovulation or, you know, was this from something else? Now, the next day when you didn't have alcohol, obviously your temperature's back down lower again, back within, your, within the norms of the surrounding temperatures. So the algorithm's going to recalculate and go, all right, something else must have been affecting that night before. I mean, I'm putting this in layman's terms. This yeah, isn't actually what no, happens. Yeah, that makes but, sense, yeah. And, and it will go, no, was there a reading from last night that's more in line with your normal patterns now considering the new day? And it will then adjust that it might bring it back down lower. And what it means, instead of leaving you with a chart with a skewed temperature result that's obviously too high that you would normally traditionally have to drop from your interpretation, it's giving you a usable temperature for that night. It's still a reading from the same night. It's just more within your norms. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the basic way that it works. Obviously, it's a it's a secret of temp drop. We're not going to give away all the details <laughs> and we're not going to give away everything that it filters and everything that it works out, but that's why it does it. So it, it can be a bit, we all go through this learning curve with temp drop where we go, what, what is it doing this for? This isn't right. One temperature is, you know, we're used to traditionally getting one temperature reading and that's it. And if it's skewed too bad, we drop it from our chart. Right. Well, this is new technology. It's not just taking one reading. It's taking thousands of readings and it's learning your norms and it's taking into consideration both old data and new data every single time you sync. Yeah, and when you do see those temperatures plotted on a chart, the algorithm becomes much more smooth. It's sort of a smoothed out appearance as opposed to, you know, a more jagged one or like you said, if you if you opted to drop a temperature that was outside of your norm um, and exclude it, then you're going to have a gap in your temperature chart and it's just going to go straight across. Yeah. It's much more satisfying to see that algorithm <laughs> temperature chart. Sometimes. Do <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's it's much more of a textbook appearance of what a temperature chart is supposed to look like after ovulation. But it's reassuring to know that the temperatures it chooses are still your temperatures. Yours. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, that's important to um, know about temp drop, that it's not artificially making up temperatures based on, oh, look, your cycle this month, last month looked like this, so now we're going to make this month look mm -hmm. like that. That's not what it's doing. And it also is still, you're still able to use that data to kind of in a diagnostics way because if you really do have variable hormones, and you would see this in PCOS charts probably especially, it will still look rocky. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's not that it's going to smooth every situation. It's still taking your body temperature. And if your hormones are fluctuating daily to larger degrees, then yes, that is going to look rock- rocky on a chart. And it will let you know that your hormones, you know, aren't quite right. So um, it can still be used in a diagnostic way. Um, and that's something personally that I use every single cycle is I get a feel of how well my hormone levels are going through my patterns um, on the chart after the algorithm has done th- done its thing. And that's probably the biggest takeaway I can give to to users and new users is don't put too much stock in the first reading. <laughs> so don't get overexcited about the first day. Just keep in mind that it might change tomorrow. Most times it doesn't change very much and it won't change your interpretation of your cycle. But sometimes if it has been affected by something, then it will. So the important thing is the final temperature after it's been updated. And usually if it's going to adjust significantly, it will do that um, with tomorrow's sync. So don't get too excited about the first day. Just give it time. Um, Some women, like you said, that may get triggered by seeing a high temperature and then seeing it get lowered because they Mm. think, oh, now I've ovulated and now I've not. Some even choose not to look at the chart that first day or if they're putting it into a third-party charting app, they they choose not to put it in the chart for the first day and do it on the second day because then, you know, it's well-adjusted to where it's going to sit and it just might give you a little bit more, more comfort. So it's not... Temp drop is not taking your ovulation away. When you do ovulate, it will be clear, but it's just filtering variables that might have affected that original reading. Yeah, you mentioned diagnostics too, and I think you know it's important to note that temperature tracking can help highlight some potential issues mm-hmm. with your cycle and your hormones. You know, in addition to confirming ovulation, you know some. Yes. Some of the things I think of when I'm seeing not quite optimal temperature readings is, you know, if the if the temperature readings are low overall, you know, I'm not quite sure what the Celsius is, but it's like 96 degrees or or 90, even 95s I've seen. It's like maybe we might want to test your thyroid because it's low all month long. And then you, you know, are getting a rise after ovulation, but still not nearly to optimal temperatures. Um, other things, you know, if if progesterone is not very, is not high enough, then that spike after ovulation may not be as robust as we would like it to be. Additionally, you can see if your luteal phase, you're having a luteal phase deficiency where your luteal phase is shorter than it should be, or mm-hmm. progesterone is dropping off earlier than it should be, and your temperature is dropping, you know, well less than 14 days after ovulation. So, you know, I back to what we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. there's so much information that can be gleaned from temperature tracking that's not just related to fertility. Just- Ovulation, yeah, that's right. Um, just a note, you mentioned about um, lower temperatures can be diagnosed, you know, a diagnostic tool for thyroid health. Temp drop can read lower than oral. So the diagnostic 
ranges that have been given for, for optimal thyroid health are based on oral temperatures. The studies haven't been run, obviously, yet with temp drop. Hopefully, they will be one day. So, yeah, just because you might see a lower temperature range with temp drop doesn't necessarily mean um, thyroid issues automatically. Obviously, you'd want to look at do you have other symptoms um, and, you know, you can kind of take a look at how well your menstrual cycle is looking overall. But, yeah, it's just an important note that that temp drop can run naturally lower than oral. It's taking a sleeping temperature instead of a waking temperature and it's also reading from arm instead of mouth so yeah there can be a difference between those two so don't freak out if you start tracking with temp drop and it's it's lower than oral yeah you would need to pursue thyroid testing based on other symptoms as well yeah yeah never just in absence of any other data but i always yeah. I always forget which one it's like skin is slightly, I mean, that makes sense. Skin is slightly lower than oral. Vaginal is the highest of all of them. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So, <laughs> so even if you were doing it, you know, a vaginal reading, you'd have to consider how that fits in with oral diagnostics. You know, you just, it's a different thermometer. It's a different type of reading. So, so always keep that in mind when you're using a different type of thermometer. Yeah, we bought one of those um, forehead ones, the little uh, machine, oh, yes. you know, just during the time of COVID, I was like, we're going to be having to take our temperature, <laughs> you know, more than usual. And it is so inaccurate. I mean, I get <laughs> it, you know, it really depends on what part of my forehead I'm aiming it at, but temperatures yeah. are all over the place <laughs> with that thing. Yeah. Exactly. But, but you would know, you know, in most cases, if if you are having cycle irregularities, if your cycle hormones are out of whack, there is a big correlation to thyroid very often. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can still definitely use cycle tracking as an indication of your thyroid health. Yeah, I see. I see a lot of women who've been misdiagnosed with PCOS when it actually turns out to be a thyroid issue that's <laughs> yeah. driving the ovulation uh, and ovulation. Any myths that you really would love to just bust around cycle tracking and, you know, fertility awareness? Wow. How many there are. <laughs> Your how many opportunity. There are. <laughs> yeah, Say yeah. anything. Say anything. One that we see a lot kind of come back through support and we see in our Facebook group and that kind of thing from, from um, temp drop users who are tracking basal body temperature is this idea that because you did have a positive LH test, for example, mm-hmm. and you, you're not seeing your temperature rise, that there must be something wrong with your temperatures. There must be something wrong with the device. So one big myth is, or one piece of knowledge that can be super helpful is to know that just because you get a positive LH test does not mean that you will successfully ovulate. All it means is that your LH, your luteinizing hormone, has risen to a point where the, where the test has picked it up. Um, generally, that's a sign that your body is trying to ovulate, but it mm. doesn't mean that ovulation will be successful. And this is where having the cross-check is so important because you can get your positive test, but then if your temperatures don't rise within a, re- a couple of days of that, it helps you understand that that ovulation attempt perhaps was not successful. You didn't actually release the egg. So that's a big one. Just because you get a positive 
positive OPK or LH test does not mean you did ovulate. Another one is um, the one around seeing a drop in temperature at ovulation, um, commonly known as an ovulation dip or an ovulation drop. This can happen around ovulation, but not always. Yeah. There, you know, you can see a dip at any time in your cycle um, when you're tracking away and you're watching your temperatures fluctuate, you know, a little bit each day, that's normal. Then you might just see one that's significantly lower. Well, don't conclude that that means you've ovulated that day. Again, you've got to watch for the rise in temperatures. You're not looking for a dip, you're looking for a rise. So, and like I said, sometimes, yeah, we see charts where there is a significant dip and a rise the next day. But don't use that ovulation dip as it's known or um, ovulation drop as a sign that you have successfully ovulated. Similarly, I've seen in some of the fertility Facebook groups where, you know, when they're trying to conceive and their symptoms spotting and, you know, I've seen <laughs> similar sort of stories around the implantation dip. Yes, that was my <laughs> next one. Absolutely. <laughs> That's say. like, ah, it's frustrating and it's, and it's not just frustrating, it's, you know, it can be quite disheartening and it can be emotional. It can really play on your emotions when you have been taught that an, a dip, a single day's dip, um, four, five, six, seven days into your luteal phase after you've ovulated is a sign of implantation because it's not. The basic truth is that both pregnancy and non-pregnancy charts can look identical until the point where the luteal phase goes beyond your normal. So if your luteal phase, the number of high temperatures between ovulation and the end of the cycle is normally like 12 days, for example, that's fairly, you know, should be fairly fixed most cycles. It's, it's not until it goes beyond that to, you know, 16, 17, 18 days that you might start to get excited that this could be a pregnancy chart. But of course, usually by then you've started testing because you're, you've done your two-week wait, you're going to start pregnancy testing. So both pregnancy and non-pregnancy charts can look identical until pregnancy is con confirmed, basically. It is very cool to see the temperature chart when someone is in a pregnant cycle where it just keeps going. Keeps going. It stays up. It stays up and it keeps staying up and then your period doesn't come. And that's the point where you can get excited. Once you're late for your period, you might be able to get excited. But yeah, until that point, that's, you know, why it's so important to try and maybe try to just keep busy, focused on other things during the two week wait, which is super hard, but symptom spotting can just lead to frustration and super, super disappointment because yeah. if it doesn't turn out the way that you think it should because you've been told that this means implantation, it's just going to be so much harder. But if we know, if we understand what's normal and, and that this can, this can happen either way, it can help just take our focus on overanalyzing our charts during that two-week wait. Also, just to add that, similarly spotting during the cycle might happen, might not. Some, some women do spot a little bit before ovulation. Some women do spot a little bit with implantation, but not 
even from pregnancy to pregnancy. It's like they might mm-hmm. they might have a little implantation spotting during one pregnancy, but not during another and start to panic about it. But, you know, it, it may not even necessarily be spotting from implantation. It may be a drop in progesterone and you're, you're spotting early. So there are so mm-hmm. many reasons for any of these symptoms. And it's really, you know, the, the whole taking it all together and analyzing it as a whole that gives us the most information. We can't really come to any conclusions based on on one day or one thing that happens within a cycle. Yeah, exactly. And if I can squeeze one more in, one of the, yeah. one of the big ones is if you experience a bleed after an ovulation, like not ovulating, and then you have a bleed, that's not the beginning of a new cycle. That's a pretty important one. And, and no doubt you see this in, in those that have really irregular cycles and can have these anovulatory bleeds or break, breakthrough bleeds. It's important to know that that cycle is not complete. You're still in the same cycle until you ovulate because ovulation dictates the success of a cycle. So Technically, there's no such thing as an anovulatory cycle. I'll put that in inverted commas because you've not completed the cycle until you ovulate. So, yeah, and that that can just be helpful when you're gathering data maybe for a, a health provider. Instead of going in and say, look, I'm, I'm having anovulatory cycles, you could say, look, I'm, ha- I'm experiencing bleeds between ovulation and I'm not ovulating until very, very late. So just, it's a little thing, but it can just help with accuracy of data when you're trying to diagnose problems and trying to fix problems. Yes. I would say that's a common question that I get asked in my Facebook group for my course as well Mm. is I'll often get asked, well, you know, I started bleeding on this day. Do you think it was a period? And I All I can say is we really don't know, you know, if you weren't tracking your cycles and you weren't tracking ovulation, I really have no way of saying one way or another what what kind of bleed that was. I mean, Mm. you know, start tracking, see where you are, and then hopefully we'll have more information the next cycle. I do think it's still still a little bit frustrating, at least with healthcare practitioners here, uh, conventional medicine, healthcare practitioners who really don't care about temperature tracking. I mean, I know for myself personally, um, a couple of years ago, I was, I was having an issue and I, you know, I brought my temperature chart into my OBGYN and I said, look, this is weird. This doesn't have, you know, this is a weird thing that's happening. <laughs> she literally didn't care. She didn't want to see it. Didn't care. Mm. Thought I was making it up. I, I swear she thought I was making the whole thing up. Um, and I think, you know, it's not like pseudoscience. It's not like I said, like, here, take a look at my crystal chart or my, <laughs> my astrological sign says I, I didn't ovulate or I ovulated, but you know, it's, it's legit science. And I, I think it's just mm. fascinating that they, they really don't care. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems to be in, in speaking to, you know, doctors who have learned about fertility awareness, it's not, it's simply just not taught in their medical training, which is the sad part. So it kind of starts at the, at the ground level that 
their time and effort is not put into teaching any of this in their medical training. Um, the ones that I know have come to learn it later and then been amazed by it and dug in, dug into the science and and taken it on board. But um, But again, you know, we all hope that by being part of the fertility awareness world that one day the change will come um, and perhaps devices like TempDrop can drive that change because it gives medical pro- professionals the data. We can pull the data from tens of thousands of users and also provide an easier way to get this into charts um, rather than the variable oral tracking. You can kind of understand if somebody tries to, to do it traditionally and then their heart's not really in it, they're probably not going to get very much useful information and then a medical provider will go, yeah, no, it's no point asking them to do that because it's not, not going to be useful. But, but as technology changes, times are changing and we want to drive that change, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure we'll yeah. get there. I mean, I think there is definitely the trend to fitness and wearable devices of all sorts mm. and people are coming more and more interested in, in all kinds of tracking now that we have the technology to be able to do that. But I think this should be taught in elementary school to <laughs> every, <laughs> you know, every fifth grade girl should learn this. Every boy should learn this too. So they understand, you know, the menstrual cycle and the fertile windows, um, you know, instead they teach us how to put condoms on bananas and call it a day. Um, but it's, it's really, it's the key to understanding. And I, I do agree when people do learn about it, they just get so excited and they dig into it. And, you know, there's so much potential for improving, you know, awareness of hormones and menstrual cycles moving forward. So there's a business idea for a temp job. Can, <laughs> can get in those sponsors some elementary school uh, training for for children to learn. <laughs> yeah, and also and also try to get in on the ground level with medical training. Mm-hmm. So right to the to the schools, the colleges, so this can be presented to young, upcoming next generation of healthcare providers. I actually, in my electronic health record that I use for my dietitian practice, um, it syncs with my client's Fitbit. So wow. their, their Fitbit data goes right into my portal. So I can see how many steps they took and how they slept the night before. And, you know, so if they tell me they're sleeping great <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> No, <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be fantastic to have, you know, just the data go straight to the doctor. So they mm. would be aware of, of any issues. Um, that would be wonderful. Yes. We're living in, in very cool times in cool. terms of technology. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. And it's, it's awesome that, you know, providers like yourself are getting the word out there. You know, you're all part of it working together to present this information to women so that they have the opportunity to just grab the knowledge and hopefully use it to benefit the health. Absolutely. Well, I so appreciate you coming and taking the time to explain all of this. You know, I'm in love with TempDrop myself. <laughs> I recommend it for all my clients. Um, so I'm so glad that that we were able to dig 
deeper into cycle tracking and fertility awareness. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about where they can find you, where they can learn more about TempDrop? Yeah, so our website is tempdrop.com. That's our main main channel. You can find lots of information there. We have an amazing blog section which links, um, you know, cycle tracking with health and all that kind of thing. Um, we're also on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find us on YouTube. So we've got lots of options there for you to find us um, and be able to learn more. And, of course, we have an amazing support team. So if you have any extra questions, you can shoot an email off and we'll, we'll answer you, you know, give you more information. Wonderful. Thank you. I will be posting the links in the show notes so anyone can go find them there as well. Um, Thank you so much, Melanie. It's been so nice chatting with you and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. We appreciate it too. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.